Hello and welcome to More Than Tracy Turnblad, the podcast about fat representation in entertainment. I'm Abby Rose Morris. This is episode two, interview one, and today I'm going to be chatting with Shara Ashley Zeiger, who is a actor, performer, theater artist, filmmaker, writer, producer, director. Oh my God, she's so many things. And we have an awesome conversation coming up. But first, I want to talk to you about Tracy Turnblad herself, namesake of this podcast, All Hail the Queen. Just kidding, we can have a more nuanced view of her than that. So Tracy Turnblad is incredibly dear to my heart. Like, picture me, a fat child, like one of the only fat children I knew, had never ever seen a character who looked like me in film, TV, media, theater, whatever, none of those things, who was neither old nor the butt of a joke. I mean, I don't think I'd ever seen one that wasn't both of those things. So seeing Tracy Turnblad in that like 2005, 2006, Nikki Blonsky hairspray, God bless. Nikki Blonsky, if you're listening to this, you did a great freaking job as Tracy. You, you're the Tracy of my heart. I love you. Thank you. Anyway, that movie, if you can't tell by the way I'm talking about it already, absolutely rocked my world because I had not seen a fat person live joyously and (laughs) happily and not be ridiculed for it. And I mean, a big part of me like could not believe that this was written so long ago because there was just nothing in media in the early 2000s that would have you believe that being fat wasn't one, a death sentence, and two, a misery sentence while you were still alive. So Tracy like danced on TV. Dancing was always something I told myself I could not do because I was fat. I quit ballet and got fat and was like, I'm not going back, which I still regret because when I finally did go back to ballet, I loved it. Anyway, Tracy dances, and that was huge for me. Tracy is seen, she wants to be seen, and people want to see her. Hell, she gets famous, which, like, I'm sure 10-year-old me was very inspired by. And she even, like, enjoys fashion. She takes joy in her body in this other way. That Mr. Pinky's hefty hideaway scene was, like, revolutionary for me because... Like many folks, I think a big fear about getting fat is I won't be able to dress in anything fun or joyful or attractive anymore. And I, of course, was very into the all sequins and rhinestones all the time look. So I like have a very clear memory of Tracy's pink dress and like wanting that dress. I was so into all that sequined rhinestone, like feather boa all that shit. I think I wore a feather boa to school an embarrassing amount of times. And I had those jeans with the rhinestones on the pocket. Did anyone else have those? Those were crazy. And like, I just wanted to dress like a cheetah girl. Uh, Anyway, so Tracy like was pretty close to that. And I was deeply inspired and moved. Also like Tracy falls in love. She falls in love and it's not a joke or a cautionary tale. It's requited. It's with a guy who is conventionally hot. Uh, I don't think the guy needs to be conventionally hot for it to be empowering, but 
if he's if the guy is not going to be conventionally attractive, then it can't be like, oh, the two fatties found each other, which it is in a lot of the times when two fat people fall in love. And that is a problem that needs to be addressed. But Hairspray does a pretty good job of putting a conventionally attractive guy with a not conventionally attractive girl and uh, having them be in this believable kind of love that is both, uh, it somehow manages, and this is so rare for uh, all representations of fat people in love. He's not seeing beyond her body. He doesn't love her just for her personality. And he also doesn't fetishize her or, you know, objectify her. And the balance is struck where he clearly is in love with her, her as a person. He says, Tracy, I'm in love with you no matter what you weigh. So, like, her weight's not important to his love of her. And yet they're also, like, clearly super horny for each other, which is just, like, really inspiring when you're a 10-year-old <laughs> and um, believe that relationships are fundamentally inaccessible to you because of your size. I know I'm not the only one who believes this. Like, <laughs> guys, let's have a wine night and, like, vent. There doesn't have to be wine if you're not 21. Like, we can we can just drink some, like, pomegranate juice. I don't know. Anyway, Tracy is, like, such an empowering character. She is a little weirdly obsessed with her hometown. I have to say, that struck me as very odd to someone who was like, I want to go to New York City, I want to go to New York City, I want to go to New York City, I hate this stupid town. And Tracy was like, I love Baltimore. And I was like, okay, it's not New York City, but, like, you do you. <laughs> Anyway, Tracy's, like, so optimistic, so unfailingly, like, bright and happy. I had a voice teacher once who said Tracy Turnblad is an ingenue in a character actor's body, and I find that to be super accurate. She's got that, like, optimism and innocence. And yet she has a beautiful arc in the show where she realizes that, though, obviously she's being marginalized for her size— she needs to use her white privilege to fight for those more marginalized than her. And she does it at great personal cost to herself, which I really respect. So Tracy is like absolutely a role model, absolutely a wonderful character who I love so much and like would love to play. But like when you tell every fat performer or theater fan that they would make a great Tracy Turnblad... It, it kind of leaves a bad taste in our mouths, and here's why. Because when you say, oh, you'd be a great Tracy Turnblad, what we hear is, like, you are fat and that is all you are. And, like, for me, it's like, yeah, that's stating the obvious, sure, I'm fat, but, like, it's kind of gross of you to, like, pigeonhole me as that immediately. And, like, the real problem, too, is, like, Tracy Turnblad is the only fat lead. Like, she's the only fat ingenue. So, like, of course that's the only character you're going to say. But then it's like, why can I only play characters who are fat? Why am I limited to that? So, when you tell fat people they should play Tracy Turnblad, make sure you're not secretly just saying you are limited. I'm limited. Just look at me. Um, fat alphabet. Guys, I, I, I really want fat alphabet and I, I really want to be fat alphabet. Ah, cast me. Um, cause like, I mean, it's like, bleh, it's relatable. Okay. <laughs> 
So Tracy Turnblad is like an amazing character. She's so optimistic. It's almost a little like suspicious. Like, does anyone else get like this about people? I might just be a Scorpio, but like when someone's like, I'm so happy despite like kind of being trod on in their life. I'm like, that is amazing for you. And like, I wish I could be that way. But like, it's not always realistic. It's it's really not. We can't all be Tracy Turnbot, unfortunately. Uh, and, you know, even all the fat actors who get told they should play her, we can't all play her. Like, we need something else. We need something else. It cannot just be this. And every time there is a, a an open call or whatever for a hairspray audition, I, like, see all these fat actresses lined up around the block. And I'm like, it is so sad that when this happens, all of us have to get up at the ass crack of dawn and, like take the subway an hour and a half to Midtown and like wait in this line to be seen for the one, one lead role we could possibly have a chance of getting. And like, sure, a lot of that is, oh, are we limiting ourselves? But like also a lot of it is the world limiting us. So maybe next time you're naming possible roles for your fat actor friend, Try to think a little outside the box. And by the box, I mean the flesh vessel. I mean the body. So yeah, more than Tracy Turnblad. Also Tracy Turnblad. Cast me as Tracy Turnblad. I would be a great Tracy Turnblad. But I am more than Tracy Turnblad. Title drop. And now, without further ado, I will give you my interview with Shara Ashley Zeiger. Hi, Shara. Hey, thanks for having me, Abby. <laughs> did I pronounce your name correctly? You did. You did. So many people butcher it. And I got the Sarahs and the Sherrys and the people like to put L's in my last name, but you didn't. You're awesome. Thank you. I watched your video on your website where you said your name. So there you go. Yay! You did your research. I did. <laughs> so uh, let's start with your very first like artistic origin story. How did you get into the arts? Oh, I've been doing this stuff forever. <laughs> I think I did my first play. Like I was at day camp when I was five. I I always did the school play. I've been dancing forever and, you know, all through summer stocks and uh, my hometown to high school musicals and plays to... Mm-hmm doing a few regional things in high school to going to college for it and then moving to New York and, you know, living the dream. (laughs) And uh, when did you start to see like your body size showing up for you as either a limiting (coughs) factor or just something that you noticed in like your life as a performer? Well, it actually started kind of young. I remember I used to take dance and, uh, very quickly, you know, as my body type started, just started being a little bit more curvier when I was younger. It, mm-hmm. I remember I was in a dance class and all of a sudden things were re-choreographed against like this new, like hot, thin person in my class. And that was when I quit dance because <laughs> oh. I was like, this is lame. I was, I danced forever. I was maybe in eighth grade. I ended up being a dance minor in college, but, um, 
Yeah, that's when I it started to really change. And in in high school, I wasn't it's weird. Like I I come from a family that my mother's always been plus sized and she's always had a little bit of a complex. And I thought I was fat a long time before I actually was. Yep. Same. So I I look back and it was like I looked awesome and I was in Weight Watchers in high school. Like what the heck? Yeah. Um, but even starting in high school, I I started to get those old women in witches roles and was labeled character actress. And I embraced it at first. I thought it was a challenge. I thought it was great. But you know, looking back at it, it was like, well, why? Yeah. You know, I mean, I won't play those roles again until I'm like in my 60s. And that's not realistic. And, you know, in in college, I went to, um, (laughs) I went to Ithaca. Um, So it's funny when you say like the name of your podcast about Tracy Turnblad, like mm-hmm. Ricky Lake went to my school. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. And like, but long before me and I went in as a BA instead of a BFA because I thought I wanted to do everything. Um, but I really wanted to act and it became very quickly um, taught to me that one if you were a BA, then they weren't really required to cast you um, on the main stage. Um, Yeah. But also because I, of the way I looked like it was like, well, then of course we're not going to cast you. And of course we're not going to think of you. Um, And anybody that was a BFA that I knew that um, they were like kind of supposed to cast them. They, were constantly on diets and people were like having all sorts of eating disorders and things. And it, it bred this really ugly thing. But for me, it was interesting because it taught me grit. Yeah. So when I wasn't cast on the main stage in my school (coughs) and like even the, um, my peers that were like the directors of the bunch, because that's like a lot of BAs were directors and didn't see me that way. I did the like the club at school. And so I like did, of course, I was the old woman. I was Fraulein Schneider in Cabaret. But like I I sought out the other opportunities. Like I wound up getting involved with the hangar and the kitchen theater in town and while I wasn't cast there, I was I was doing shows at the kitchen and got paid for it. I did like four student films my last semester of college. And we were very much discouraged from fraternizing with the Park School, the School of Communications. And it's like, that's where all the filmmakers are. That's where your yeah. TV people are. And so I moved to New York and I had a reel. Yeah. I had four student films to put on a reel. And, you know, so it it was interesting. But when I got to New York, it was also like a big eye-opening thing of you are the fat girl in this world. Um, Because 
you know, I went to Actors Connection. I did those things. And right. I was a little bit like the success story there. Like people say, those people never call people in. Like <laughs> literally, I went to my first one and the guy was like, have you ever considered auditioning for Tracy Turnblad? And I was <laughs> like, well, no. Um, you know, I'm a really strong actor and I have a very strong dance background. Mm-hmm. I'm an okay singer. But um, it kind. He was like, "Call my office in the morning," and it it set me down the path of like working towards that and like going down that path. And it, like I would go to uh, dance calls for for musicals because I was a really strong dancer. And I'll never forget. I went to an Oklahoma dance call, and the casting director pulled me aside and he goes, "You're really great." you're really talented. He's like, but you will never be cast in Oklahoma because you're not the type and you'll never fit our costume. Yeah. And it, it kind of crushed me a little bit. Um, but it, you know, it just made me navigate things differently. Right. You know, I, in some ways, and what's funny too is like, no joke, I weighed 80 pounds less than I do now. Right. I like, I was a completely different body. I was being told all that shit when I was like a size 10. Yeah. Well, what's hard too about that size is that the industry doesn't know what to do with you. Right. They're like, you need to either lose 40 pounds or gain 100 pounds. Right. Because what are you? But it's interesting because like where other people struggle to get representation, I got representation kind of right away. Yeah. But I wasn't seen. I was only really being seen for the fat girl roles. Yeah. And not roles that necessarily would have helped me grow my career. So, yeah, like I read for Jane and the pilot of Drop Dead Diva. I read for Huge. I read for like every like fat girl role that came up. Right. And they were usually like this the lead and the center of the story but the reality is like i needed to really build my experience on set i needed to be on sets like i needed to like i wanted to like book the waitress that had like two lines yeah because that was what would have built credibility and build trust so that when those things like Jane show up, I would have been ready for them, you know? <clears throat> you know, as I get older, it sort of navigated me down all sorts of paths. I mean, I I really felt like I needed to make my own work because I felt like I wasn't being seen in the way I wanted to be. Uh, I felt like people were like, oh, she's the fat funny girl, which... I am, and I love comedy, and that's definitely a part of who I am, but it's not the full picture and then not the breadth of what I'm capable of. So 
<coughs> you know, I went down the stand-up path and, like, was making fun of myself for a while because, like, that's what you do, you know? Um, Like, Amy Schumer was going to the same OMAD mics that I was back then. Um, And it, it's interesting, like, being a woman in that area. And then, you know, that brought me down a clown path. I was scouted by Cirque du Soleil to play Gladys Presley. It's like uh, Elvis's mom. They ended up cutting the role from the show. But it was like, oh, a plus size woman who can move well? What is that? <clears throat> but now it's interesting. I'm in a place in my career that it it's a juggle navigating it. Um, I get called in for the roles that are that person are like the token fat person and it's like of course I think of Shara because she's plus size but I also get called in for some other things um that people think could be the fat person um and it's really interesting with the industry navigating that change um I remember I uh I met Guy Nativ at a film festival like a year ago. He uh, <coughs> he's the the filmmaker that won the Oscar for Skin for the short, and then he ended up making the feature. And Danielle McDonald was in that, and I remember just kind of thanking him for casting someone that was plus size in a role that it was never about her weight. Like there, it was never mentioned. It was just like she was just right for the role. And he's like, people are sick of seeing skinny people. People want to see real people. And I believe that. And it, I think it's just a matter of Hollywood catching up to what people actually want. Yeah. It's definitely like empowering to think that people want to see that. And that's like a lot of what motivates me as an actor to be like, Oh, if people see my body, they will, you know, maybe hate theirs a little less or even just like maybe see like a fatter body doing things that you don't normally see a fatter body doing. Well, the thing is, you do see fatter bodies doing normal things. You just don't see that in film and TV. I mean, the average size in America is a size 16. People have jobs. You're you're the doctor. You're the lawyer. You're the teacher. You're not the fat lawyer. You're not the fat doctor. Like, people have relationships. People fall in love. Like, I'm a plus-size woman. I've been with my husband for 10 years. And he's not a plus-size man. You know, it's, it's not about that. And I think if Hollywood and if the theater community would embrace that, then it would help so much for like culture because people people don't have shame of who they are unless people teach them to have shame over who they are and if all you see on tv is every time there's a plus size character they there's they're eating they're in a job that's related to eating they're obsessing about their weight or they're sad all the time then people start to think, am I supposed to be that person? Exactly. 
as I said before, it's like what's really motivated me to make my own work. Um, you know, people say to me all the time, they're like, Shara, you, you're so tenacious. You're such a hard worker. You're so passionate. And it's like, well, fuck, I have to be. Right. You know, because people don't think of me. Like, I'm I'm a plus-size actor. I have TV credits. And I know a gazillion filmmakers that are constantly asking each other to do things. And people don't ask me. Unless it's like, oh, we have a plus-size character. Let's think of Shara. And it, it's just sad. And I don't like to call people out but on the on the lower level but like you know that it's what it is um but i have been lucky in that i have um through different being a very tenacious person making many relationships with casting directors and pushing for them to see me in my work um i've had the opportunities to read for them over and over and you know, I, my first two co-stars, I booked almost back to back um, within like two weeks of each other, which gave me this weird complex of like, this is my life now. This is what I'm going to do every day. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't work like that. But those two roles had nothing to do with my weight. That's amazing. I was cast as a, a customer role on uh, The Last OG. I it was just a customer. It could have been anybody. Um, I was cast as a an, a super fan <laughs> on a bull, and it was just like someone that was like super eager and a fan of the of the plaintiff, and nothing to do with my weight. And I love when those things come up. But it's interesting that I find also that happens and I see this so specifically because I'm in it and I, I'm lucky and I get to audition Right, is that there are a lot of writers that are trying to fight for us and there are a lot of roles that are written for us and they will literally say plus size, little out of shape, uh, round, like different, whatever the words are. Right. To kind of say, cast more diversely, body diversity. And then I'll go to the audition and I will see that nobody else waiting is plus sized. And then I will see that the role changes when it gets cast wow um 911 uh the the ryan murphy show abby that connie Britton ended up playing was written for a plus size woman in her 30s that is crazy uh there was a role this year on the center um rory Barnhart, I want to say her name is, uh-huh. was a recurring guest star on the season of The Sinner. She was a cop. She was written as a plus-size, out-of-shape cop. 
Wow. Did not go to somebody plus size. That is so crazy. And there's lots of examples of that. Those are just the two that that stick in my head. Are they mainly, do you see that mainly with like larger kind of recurring roles or do you also see it with like co-stars and guest stars? Um, I rarely see co-stars written specifically for plus size people. Um, but I think that's also due to the fact that co-stars are the kind of roles that are supposed to move the story along. Like they like volley the ball back to the, the guest or, or the series rag. So they can be anyone. Right. I feel like <coughs> see that way more in terms of like when I'm like constantly scanning TVs, even subconsciously for people who look more like me, like it'll be someone who has a couple of lines and I'm like, oh my God, there I am. And then they leave, you know, it's like, it's way less likely that someone will be a larger character um, you know, both in terms of size and in terms of how much <coughs> the characters on screen um, and like have it not be that kind of stereotypical about their weight thing like that to me is a lot more rare. It is rare. It's really rare. And it's it's even more rare in drama. Yeah. Than it is in comedy. Comedy. I don't know what it is of being plus size and being funny that they think that goes hand in hand, but. Unless they just think fat people are fun to laugh at. I, I don't really quite get it. Um, but it's it's interesting because, you know, when it is, I do see people more written to be plus size in uh, the series regular or in the guest or the recurring guest. Yeah. That is an interesting dichotomy. So um, you've also done lots of theater. Mm-hmm. How does it compare in the film and the theater industry? It's it depends on the company. Like yeah. theater I find is really hard for me because theater companies they have small budgets compared to film and TV and they um they don't quite understand that like costuming us isn't the most difficult thing in the world. So they'll have like a sea of their own costumes. So it's like they won't consider you because they're just like, you won't fit our costumes that we have. Um, or they just don't want to make the effort. Um, it, it's tricky. Um, I find more the stuff that I'm right for, for theater is more because I'm not really a musical theater person anymore. <clears throat> After I read for Tracy for the tour, for the Broadway show, for the movie, for the cruise ship. <laughs> uh, and I just like was like, this is not putting my best before it. Um, I'm, I'm an actor. Um, and I, I feel like with theater... I don't know. I think it might be like a subconscious thing about stamina. Like they don't think you have the stamina to do it. Um, and maybe because people like Bonnie Milligan can like belt their faces off. They can show them that in that way. There, There is a place for the plus size musical theater 
actress. After Tracy, a niche of that has sort of carved itself into various shows. Um, But, and I uh, did this whole solo show about this, like exactly looking at musical theater, um, which is where this this podcast kind of grew out of. And uh, what I noticed doing that is like a lot of those roles, they either are extremely stereotypically like sad. Yes. Uh, these are actually just specifically the roles for white women. I will say it's different depending on gender, race, disability. But for roles for white women that I would be considered for, they're either very sad, like tragic, unrequited love kind of fat girl, or they're like so empowering that it's actually just one note. And a lot of times those are really more about like, the show off vocal, like you mentioned, with yep. uh, Bonnie Milligan, who is a wonderful and brilliant <coughs> actress. And a wonderful yet, human being, too. <laughs> yes. I really just, like, so appreciate what she has done for, you know, the industry and, like, people seeing fat actors in a different way. Um, that is so important. But I also feel like a lot of times fat actresses in musical theater are kind of reduced to that, like, show off high belt stuff. And I remember as, like, a teen... Being like, oh, my God, I have to learn to belt and riff because otherwise I, I have nothing to offer. No one's going to want this body. Yeah, it's – and sadly, it's right now. That's true. <laughs> it's – I mean, I hate to say it, but, you know, that's why you have to make <coughs> your own opportunities and show people. Like, I remember one of my favorite experiences was when I self-produced Savage and Limbo. John Patrick Shanley play. I – always wanted to dive into Linda and people were like oh I never thought of Linda as like a plus-size person and mind you I was a lot thinner when I did do this role but right by our industry standards I was still a plus-size person and it's like her last name is Rotunda <laughs> her last name is Rotunda she's had three children yeah that is who she is there are so many small textual clues to fat characters that people just miss or erase well, we we mounted the show. It was sort of like a crazy anomaly. Um, it was the first thing I ever produced. And my co-producer was Abby Solomon of Roslyn Productions. And pl- she played Savage. And between her uh, traditional marketing know-how and my social media savviness, we sold out an equity showcase code. All 16 shows sold out by the end of opening weekend. The only way for us to continue on was to move on to a mini off-Broadway contract. Mm -hmm. And we did. So I got my equity card from my own project. Not even like the intention, but that's what happened. And we sold that out as well. 31 shows. That is amazing. It, It was insane. And everyone that you wanted to see your work was in that audience. Wow. Like people from uh, Roundabout, people from Manhattan Theater Club, half the producers on Broadway, uh, Doug Lyman that does all like the Born Identity series stuff was there. Tom Meehan, who was alive at the time that wrote Annie, half the casting directors in town. I got a new agent through it. I was asked to do a reading at New Dramatists from it. Um, And it really just opened my eyes to like, Shara, no, you need to show people what it is that you do. Because it's interesting that you were saying like being a plus size woman, but also a plus size white woman. And that's different because 
there's a big push for diversity in our industry. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of it still on the Hollywood level is about checking boxes. Yes. And people want to check as many boxes as easily as they can. Yeah. I think that it's this idea that there can only be one. There can only be one fat person. There can only be one person of color. There can only be one person of like each certain race. And it's very United Colors of Benetton, though we would never fit into that. <laughs> yeah. It's like there is kind of like this push for diversity, but it's purely racial, which as it should be, but it's like not an intersectional diversity. Like or they will list a bunch of different, like, oh, we're looking for diverse actors. And then they'll be like, you know, they'll say the the actor version of No Fatties, which is like slim to athletic build. And it's right. like not for a character where that makes sense or it's for an ensemble or something like that. Well, it's weird when they say, like, very attractive. And I look yeah. at those things and I go, what does that mean? Like, they mean not plus size because plus size is not attractive. Right. It's in a lot of play scripts, like attractive is just kind of thrown into a character description when that's like not important to the character or necessary if you read the whole play. It's like this person finds this character attractive. Exactly. And then we assume that everyone finds one thing attractive, which in itself is perpetuating that we only see one kind of thing as attractive. So it's just kind of a vicious circle. I would love for there to be an understanding of body diversity in diversity because people say you can't change a disability. You can't change all these other things, but you can, you can go on a diet and change your size. That's the argument, but that's not always true. And when I say body diversity, I don't just mean plus size for sure. Plus size is in that. Um, someone who is like crazy tall, I think is in that someone that has dwarfism is in that somebody that's like, has limb difference is in that because I, I mean, those people sometimes fall in the disability community, but you know, they're just as able, they're just, their bodies are different. Yeah, that's definitely true. And it like needs to be an intersectional thing. Absolutely. And it's. You know, it's it's slowly, we, we take two steps forward, we take two steps back. Um, I have a, a film that's coming out on the festival circuit next year that I just finished. Silent physical comedy, Buster Keaton kind of film. Very different than some of the other stuff I've made. But uh, it's about a plus size woman's anxiety and journey towards self-love. That's amazing. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Now, um, let's see. Have you had any particular experiences besides the Oklahoma one that like really stuck out to you? Um, well, there, it's been about just like going in for things about, you know, It's funny, like even on the TV level, um, I'll show up for fittings and then they'll have me wear my own clothes. Yes, that happens all the time to me. (laughs) I think costuming obviously is a place where it shows up so much and people's uh, kind of both 
like uncomfortableness with it shows up and also their cluelessness about how to treat it in a sensitive way because like a lot of times I think you get costume directors who are trying and who want to be like sensitive and not you know wildly fat phobic you know what the smart ones do the smart ones say what brands do you like to wear and fit you well so that I can rattle off all the companies of the places that I like to shop and they can kind of source from there. Right. What also sucks is like when you you tell people your measurements yeah. and then they think you're kidding. I did a film once. It was like a small indie project and I've sort of learned over the years to kind on projects like that to bring some of my own options, especially if I'm not having like a separate fitting, if I'm showing up and we're doing the thing. Um, I remember they brought me things that none of their things fit me. Yeah. And it was like, I told you my size. That has definitely happened to me too. (laughs) Yep. Especially in like theaters and especially in educational situations (coughs) where they're like, here's a costume. Will this fit you? And it's like, that's clearly not going to fit me. You took my measurements. Why would you have me try this on? It's just it's just a waste of time. And, and uh, it's also like, don't we deserve to be comfortable in yes. the clothes that we wear just as everybody else? I feel like there are so many sneaky things that are punishing people for uh, being assumed to have made themselves fat. And that is one of them. Absolutely. I think... I think there's a lot of that in the industry of like, you, well, you do what you need to do. And it's like, I have, I live with four herniated discs in my back. I, I live with my facets wearing away and early degeneration in my lumbar. Like, I do what I need to do. And it, it's perceived as lazy. Yeah. It's perceived as not wanting to do something. And it's like, you know, you you go to set and they like don't tell you about breakfast because they think that you don't need to eat. Whoa. Yeah, it, it it's interesting. Um, because nobody likes to say it sometimes. It's what they say around it. Or they don't say. Like, I've had conversation with reps of mine. <clears throat> and I've I've fired managers many times over the years um, for not pushing me. And it's interesting because I'll, I'll create relationships with casting directors. And then I'll get in the room. And then it's like, but you... What are, wh- why don't you know about this project? Why didn't you submit me on this project? Um, I read in February, like right before the shutdown, (coughs) for Once Upon a One More Time, the new Britney Spears musical. Yeah. Not through an agent at all. Paul Hart literally sent me an email and said, hey, Shara, can you put yourself on tape for this? It's... It's interesting um, how that works. Yeah. Because I know sometimes casting directors really want the choices in the gamut. 
Yeah. And I wonder, are the agents there yet? That's an interesting observation. And I've kind of observed that as well. Just like for casting directors to be a little bit more open to, you know, kind of a more outside the box view and agents to be a little bit less, um, you know, a little bit more um, like this is how it is. This is the industry. This is what you're going to be taken seriously for. So why would I waste my time? You know, but that's why you do it yourself. Yeah. Like I created my own sketch comedy series all in pandemic, 15 half-hour episodes were distributed on Tubi, which turned into being asked by a new app called Rizzle that's sort of like TikTok meets Quibi. It's episodic, but it's one-minute episodes, saying, hey, Shara, pitch me. We want to greenlight you. I have three series 20 episodes each on that platform and I'm filming another this month. So when the industry isn't knocking on my door, I'm making my own way. Yeah. And I, anybody that I really respect in the industry has really had to do that. So, yeah. Awesome. So um, we've talked a little bit about this, but like what specific fat characters, representations, um, had like a big impact on you, especially like as a kid, but also as you're, you've grown up? Well, as a kid, I remember that actress that was a hilarious comedian and I forget her name and she was on all that. She stood out to me and it stood out to me that I never really saw her do much anything. Um, after that show, but I don't remember a lot of fat act. I remember Cameron Mannheim being in things. And I remember like Kathy Bates being in things. And Kathy Bates is an interesting one. Cause like she, you know, won the Oscar for misery. And then when Castle Rock went and did the, the prequel, they yeah. cast uh, Lizzie Kaplan, who's a skinny mini. Right. That's so common. That's I call it thin washing. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, so like those people kind of stood out to me. But when I think about when I when I think about like the people that I really look at and I'm like, yes, today it's people like Danielle McDonald who are playing all sorts of beautiful roles that have nothing to do with her weight. Yeah. Maybe Dumplin' did a little bit, but Bird Box didn't. It had to do with it, but like it's such a beautiful and layered and complex role. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. And then some actors that are older that are like heavier, like it's okay to be heavier when you're old, which yeah. is interesting. Um <laughs> but a lot of the people that are our age, I mean, kudos to them because they're working. But a lot of the things that they're choosing to do, I don't think helps us. That's totally fair. Yeah, I mean, I love um, 
Melissa McCarthy as an actor. And I love that the role she's starting to choose to play, like um, St. Vincent and Can You Ever Forgive Me and like that kind of stuff that's Uh not so much around her weight. Um, But unfortunately, like this is the industry as it is. And she probably had to do those projects. Like if I was offered, you know, any of the roles that I've read for that are like huge. Yeah. I would have done them in a heartbeat. Yeah, totally. But I, I think sometimes like being fat becomes like a tokenism of who you are. Yeah. And I think people, once certain people are famous, they're just famous for being fat. Yes. And I personally, and I'm not going to name names because that's a really shitty thing to do, but some of them, I don't think that they're talented and they get let off the, the hook because they, they're just banking on who they are. And it's, yeah. It's just that it's not what we're expecting of fat actors in a lot of cases simply does not require talent because it's just laughing at someone's body. Yeah, it's tokenism. And this the thing that kind of sucks too is like the same maybe five, six, I think 10 is a stretch, fat actresses that get cast. It's the same people over and over again when really... There are so many more of us that are willing, able, capable, um, have credits, building credits, and are ready um, to be given that opportunity to step into the next phase of their careers. Yeah. So it kind of makes it hard for us to build our careers when it's like we already have the 10 tokens can you just imagine if they said that about, we don't, we need, um, we already have the 10 petite blonde 20 year olds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about writing a little bit. Yeah. You have written for yourself a lot. I'm wondering if you have any guidelines or tips for folks who maybe aren't fat, but who are writers. How can they include more fat people in their stories in a way that's not stereotypical and that is sensitive? Well, the thing I would say is that you don't have to write a character fat to cast someone a fat character. You can have a your boss, a friend, your lead, whomever, and just decide to cast them in a certain way. And what's hard with it is unfortunately it changes the story. Like I wrote Joe, right? It's a 20-minute rom-com. It technically is a pilot. Shout out there if anyone wants to pick it up. But it's distributed as a short film. And people ask me sometimes, like, why did you cast yourself as Monica, the, like, quirky sidekick, not the romantic lead? And it's a confidence thing. I was like, this is who I am in this world. And it's, you know, it's a journey for even me to see myself in those eyes and in that light um, too. So as 
as a writer, I'd say, if you're writing for yourself, I'd say to writers, dare to write the part that you want to be. Dare to write yourself who you want the industry to see you as, not just who you think the industry sees you as because if you don't they won't see you there it's hard though it's it's hard because you just want to be taken seriously and you don't want to be seen as this like deluded person who doesn't you know have reality somewhere in their perspective yes and i think that's part of it too because the the idea of creating your own work and creating your own opportunities was taboo for so long. It was taboo when I first started doing it. So many people back then were like, well, your equity card doesn't count because you gave it to yourself. It's almost like people denounce the work because you made the path for yourself, but it doesn't mean that you didn't do the work. And actually it means that you probably worked a little harder. Yeah. That makes me so mad. I mean, look at like, historically, if you look at like, Lucille Ball or like um, Donna Reed, like they were doing that? Well, for years, I would say when people be like, oh, that's a vanity project. I'm like, no, it's called this is the story that I want to tell. And these are the hats that I'm choosing to wear. Um, Like I've made seven short films now. I've screened at over 60 film festivals around the world. I've won awards as an actor, as a writer. And it's <clears throat> it's like, no, this is this is the story I want to tell. And these are the hats that I creatively want to wear. And if you look at the major players in our industry, right? Mm-hmm. You look at Margot Robbie, who produced Itania for herself. You look at uh, Brad Pitt, who's constantly producing projects for himself yeah you look at Reese Witherspoon who started her own production company to produce her own projects mm-hmm. if they can do it on the macro level why can't we do it on the micro level 100% and really what it does is all of a sudden you've got a baller reel that shows you doing the things you do well and helps the big players want to bring you in. Um, literally listening to you, I'm like, yes, I'm inspired. I'm going to go write a script right now. Do it. I'm like, let's do it. <clears throat> do it. Just don't spend a lot of money on it. Yeah. You know, I, the first thing I directed was Secret Feminism that's like currently on the circuit. <clears throat> we just got into our 17th film festival and really it was my guinea pig film. Because I re- I mustache you, the one that I mentioned, um, the, the silent film was the film that I was like, I need to direct this. And I wrote it. I produced it. I'm the only actor in it. And it's 16 different locations. And I had a body double at one point. Wow. <clears throat> Very complicated. Wasn't simple. But I wanted to do a guinea pig film first so that I wasn't putting all this money and energy into something with no experience and it coming out like a piece of crap. Yeah, for sure. So I made secret feminism. I wrote it. It's a four and a half page script. The film is like just under five minutes. Um, I, I wrote it on a Tuesday. I cast it on a Thursday. We shot it on a Saturday. 
quick, 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 one and a half locations. Lots of favors because it was a very quick turnaround thing. Right. I spent 300 bucks. And it's it's this nice little comedy. Now, granted, is it as brilliant and beautiful as my film that's coming out? No. Because that cost me lots of money that I raised and I saved for. And, right. But it's it's the thing I cut my teeth on. So it enabled me to go, yeah. oh, this other thing that I care a lot about, I can go into that confidently. But the thing that I, like, example, uh, when we did uh, the Homemade Sketch Show, huge collaboration, <coughs> came out of a whim. I saw what they were doing at SNL at Home. And I was like, oh, those are just people that got picked. Once you take out the huge budget and they're filming at home, they have everything that I have. And I know a lot of like really funny people and I'm pretty damn funny. We could do something on our own. (coughs) And the playing field was even for the first time ever in the universe. Yeah. We just did it. And then Tubi wanted to pick us up randomly. We made the decision in April to do it. Between May and July, we shot 15 half-hour episodes. It's just the, you know, the difference between uh, doing things and not doing things. People think it's like, being special and people picking you. No, it's just the decision to do something or the decision to not do something. That's all it is. I love it. That is your soundbite quote. Yeah. I can't say just do it because Nike took that. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Um, So before we wrap this up, I want to do cast me cowards, which is where you tell us, our listeners, about a role that you either want to play that you wouldn't normally be cast as, as a fat person in a traditional sense, or um, it's something that you just want to see a fat person do? I would love... See, now my brain's spinning in all different places. You did this to (laughs) me. Um, I would love to play like a badass lawyer I love it. on a roll but like not one that comes on for a day and is like the pain in the ass that you don't see no I want to see like a strong powerful badass plus size lawyer like, as a lead in a show. That's so funny that you mentioned Drop Dead Diva, because that's literally it. That's, maybe I'm just thinking that. I forgot about that. Like, <laughs> but, would it not be about her fucking weight? Like, yeah. I'd also like to see a woman, like, a plus-size woman cop in, like, a cop drama. I'd also love to play... Um, the romantic lead in a rom-com. Yeah. But like a true rom-com, not something that I hit my head and now people think I'm beautiful or, you know. Right. 
Or it's not like a gimmick. Yeah. Or there doesn't have to be something in there to explain why you would ever have this rom-com, like, track. Yeah. Like, it, that it just, the character happens to be plus size. Or just, like, a plus size mom that the story is not about her letting herself go. Or plus size pregnancy. That'd oh, be I love that. Yes. So uh, now last question before we go. Uh, what are you doing or what do you wish other people would do to combat fat phobia in the arts? Um, I, well, through what things that I am doing is through my own work. I, when they say like, be the change you want to see in the world. Like I, I actively live that. Um, in, you know, I'm making films and I'm casting myself and I'm putting myself in positions that show fat bodies that they don't talk about them being fat and it's just like who they are. Um, I, I build up my fellow plus size actors and you know we're we're in community and if if there's something that I'm not right for or available for you know you 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 pimp out your friends that's what you do um but also like I I teach and I coach people on producing their own work so people that are listening that if you are um, plus sized and you say, I don't feel like I'm seen in the industry and I, I've never really written much before. I don't really know what I'm doing, but that sounds like something I want to do for myself. I coach people on how to do what I do. So that they can be empowered to create their own stories and put their own self out in the world in that way, too. That's amazing. I just may hit you up for that myself. I'm here. You know where to find me. (laughs) Awesome. So uh, do you have anything to plug? Anything you want to leave us with? Sure. Um, I'm always doing lots of things. So following me, um, joining my mailing list is always uh, good stuff. Um, So I'm... If you go to shareashleyzeiger.com, uh, really hard to find. No, I'm the only me in the world. Um, there is a thing to join my mailing list. So please do that. Um, you can watch Joe on Amazon. You can watch, uh, the homemade sketch show on Tubi. You can watch the 311 Faustus and Tippy Tips on the Rizzle app. Um, and then just kind of follow my social medias for stuff coming up for classes or um, I'm teaching kids right now, too. If anyone has kids that want to do drama on Zoom, send them my way. Um, uh, and my handle on everything is Shara Ashley Z. OK, perfect. Well, thank you so much for this awesome conversation. Thank you for having me. Uh, this this was, was fun. Of course, of course. Um, I wish you all the best in all those all those million bazillion projects you're making happen. Thank you.
and uh, have a great rest of your day and your career and blah, blah, blah. I've realized I don't know how to end a podcast, so I'm just going to talk until I stop talking. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to More Than Tracy Turnblad. If you liked it, hit subscribe and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. Also, follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, all at More Than Tracy T. And just tell your friends. Word of mouth is great, too. You can find more information at morethantracyturnblad.com.